Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Zero Weakness Podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Establishment Coffee. If you want a discount on some coffee, uh, some really good beans, head to www.establishmentcoffeeco.com.au. Use the promo code ZERO with a W25. That's ZERO25 for 25% off your next order. Uh, we've got two very, very special guests uh, on the podcast today with myself and Tom Brosey. Uh, we've got Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Ginter. You've probably heard of them from uh, RX Radio, uh, which is a huge podcast uh, in our space. Uh, they've also the head founders and owners of uh, Prescript. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows who these guys are. So, really warm welcome and uh, thanks for coming on. That's. I hope that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the first podcast where I've actually shat myself. Not like physically, but I'm like fuck. I love really? these guys. You know, I know lots of like pro footy players. We've had them on the show and I couldn't care less. Like as in, I don't get nervous around them, but I saw you guys get out of the car and I was like, sweet, Jordan Shallow's there. I'm shitting myself. Oh shit, there's Ginter as well. Nah, this is hell on earth. Bridget was like, can you just calm down? They're just normal people. That's the weirdest thing ever. Really? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't deal well. Not like I don't deal well with it, but it make, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's always weird walking into a place and people already know who you are. Mm. Especially yeah. with the podcast, you guys might yeah. find this where you say shit because it's just like, you know, your, your buddies and you're just kind of talking shit. Because for the longest time, no one listened. Like we're <laughs> three, so 400 true. episodes in. Like we've been doing the podcast since like 2015, 2016. Yeah. yeah. And there's stuff that we said that was like, ooh. <laughs> like, uh, hey, I listen to the podcast. Like, <laughs> like my, my mom used to text me and be like, Jordan, like, why, why, did, why did you say that? I was like, oh, shit. And now it's getting to the point where it's kind of weird. Like, oh, people actually listen. That's probably not a good thing. Yeah, I, I find it weird going to competitions and people ask me how Buddy is. Like, I don't post much about Buddy on the on my Instagram or anything like that. But like, how do you know about this? Why do you know so much about my life? Yeah, it's yeah, it's strange. And I've taken in recent years to just doubling down and just being completely transparent. And it's just like, because then I don't, it's like the Mark Twain thing. If you don't, if you don't lie, you don't have to remember what you said. So that way it's like, hey, on this one post, you blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, sure. That sounds like something I'd say. That sounds legit. Because <laughs> it, it, it is a tough thing to like manage in yeah. a sense. Because it is, it is something that needs managing. Because if you don't and you think you don't need to manage it, you definitely do. <laughs> like you need to have a line in the sand of like where social media kind of like how it interacts with your life. Because it will interact in ways that you can't predict and it'll fuck you up. Yeah. For sure. How long did it take you guys to sort of adjust to that since you started? Like, cause I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have started RX radio with the idea of it ending up being, you know, pre-script and what it is today. Right. So that's where you, you're kind of, or I am wrong. So yeah, we, Sick. we started the podcast and the business on the same day. Okay. Technically speaking, it was an idea that we had. So we came up with the idea for uh pre-script and in its first iteration, and then simultaneously, we're like, well, we need an audience to sell to. Um, and we had friends who, uh, the Mind Pump podcast, which is yeah. like fairly big in the fitness space. I'd been doing some content for them online, their, their YouTube stuff. And I think at the time, they'd have me on one of their episodes. And just kind of, you know, being in the, um, like, sort of the, the light of what their podcast is doing. I was like, oh, shit, like, this is a thing that's going to catch. So, I mean, n never would have predicted, like, end up in Australia and do all this crazy shit. But, like... Um, it was definitely premeditated that it would be a vehicle for us to market our products through. Yeah. So talk about that because prescript as it is now was different to how it begun, right? Like what was the original goal? What, what would you say? Um, it it kind of lacked direction in the beginning, but I know when we saw what was starting to happen, the shift to online subscription based fitness companies, um, like one that I worked with, early on is uh, was Ramon. It's like an online yoga company marketed towards CrossFitters. Um, we were just kind of seeing what they were doing in the space. And then it was a really profitable business plan. So with what we were doing, both him and I were kind of growing an Instagram following as we were in school. And we didn't really know where to direct those people or where, where to push them towards or how to profit off of a following, which it seems pretty intuitive and a lot easier to do. Like even I got to add this morning that Instagram now allows you to put out like uh, premium content that people pay for. So it's, it, it wasn't what it is now, what, like 2015 ish, 2016. Mm. Um, so we we're just starting to see people in the similar space that were doing really well off of this stuff. And, and we figured, all right, what can we put together that's going to add value 
and allow us to grow a business with a similar model. And it started off with us um, doing programming. We were literally selling spreadsheets that we were doing custom intakes and writing programs for these people and doing like weekly check-ins over email. It, it was like a remote coaching model, mm. more or less, but it was meant to be this kind of, you know, faceless anonymous company that's turning out these spreadsheets. Um, so that was the first iteration that yeah. we went with. I think like yeah. we tried to differentiate on the clinical side, like with both of us being chiropractors and strength right. sports, like Jay was competing like heavily in CrossFit, like West Coast regionals on a yearly basis. And I was doing what I was doing in powerlifting. So it's like, well, a lot of people are putting out programming. So we almost just as a natural evolution of the content we put out, people started to come to us with like, you know, injuries. And we started off just like, all right, well, let's see if we can fix your shoulder, fix your knee, fix your hip or whatever it was. And so we would do these things. And over time, you know, common things present commonly. And so you'd have like kind of like general heuristics in which you could kind of prepackage and start with like a, a new shoulder case. And like, all right, well, this is kind of looks pretty similar to the last 30 shoulder cases we did. So can we make this scalable and minimize the interaction and make sort of this heuristic program that's like, all right, this will probably work for most shoulders most of the time. And we got really good results, but we started to realize that people slipping through the cracks. And then I just started asking people, like, can you send me, like, what your program is currently? And they're like, yo, okay, like, yeah, this is a big issue. Like, just the mm -hmm. overall volume or intensity seemed to be, like, the underlying issue. And no corrective exercise or load management strategy would be useful with in the flying in the face of what they were doing. So then we started to transition from the more corrective exercise into, like, subscription-based programming for powerlifting, hypertrophy style training, Olympic weightlifting. So that was first couple of years, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Two, two and a half years yeah. spent doing that. And then it was just, just kind of keeping our ear to the ground. And then as opportunities came, we began to pivot just with what the market sort of demanded of us. So we kind of switched from the training side into the education space. Yeah. So how did that, how did that evolution occur? Was it people asking for it? Was it you seeing a hole in the market? Was it you were providing education and what you were doing anyway and saw a, a market opportunity mm. of everything? Yeah, I think it was kind of, it, it was the market telling us where to fit. So like we were selling the wrong product for the message that we were putting on our socials. Like right. we were very heavily education based, like on Instagram. I remember when Instagram went to 60 second video mm -hmm. and I was just up there like an auctioneer, like talking as fast as I could to try and jam it all in 60 seconds so that kind of like you know that was really kind of the niche that i settled into not so much anything about my my own personal exercise programming so here i have educational content on this platform that might not be suited best for it but i'm selling a product through that platform that has you know indirectly something to do with education like oh if people think i'm smart they'll think my programming is smart we can sit here and logically make that leap but that is a quantum leap for a consumer to make on a social media platform so then it's like I was actually approached by a gym franchise uh, in Canada to do some education internally for them and help them restructure their, their corporate model of educating their trainers. And then I was like, well, let's just take this on under prescript so we could make it scalable, like make it this, not, not faceless, because I think that sounds a little disingenuous, but make the brand bigger right. than anyone within it. So then we took this good life, uh, similar, but I don't think the same company, the good life fitness. Yeah. Um, and we took that opportunity to kind of make a pivot in the primary core of our business and switch it from uh, like a training company to an education company. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really important for people to hear from, from people like you guys is that, you know, in the, in the age of social media where there are people with massive followings, that if you are going to truly transcend into a big business, it, it can't rely solely on you because you're one person, right? And the, the business has to shine through. And how can you scale that? How can you get more people under that brand? It's the same thing with Zero. Like Zero can't rely on, Thomas or Daniel or whoever is at the, the top of each gym or the online coaching, it, it has to have its own name. And like you said, be kind of faceless outside of that. Yeah. And that's, it's like knowing when to pull back. And I think we were lucky early on that we just had friends who were kind of suffering from not pulling back early enough um, and remaining the face. Cause it's, it's very, it's financially incentivized to remain the face of it. Yeah. Like in the short term, it's like, yeah, you can like, it's crazy that cult of personalities, like the kind of money you can make online, at least, you know, I mean, coming from a place where I was earmarked to just work in a fucking factory my whole life. So I was like, wow, this is wild. So it definitely took like a lot of me learning through the experience of my friends who are in the industry, who are much further along um, in sort of their business development, their career development, and to see them try and pull back and bring it behind something that's, and put the brand to the forefront. So, you know, it, in short term, it was, 
I mean, it was a no-brainer when it came to because I just saw it every day with my friends fighting, trying to claw back and buy back their time, buy back their freedom, buy back their anonymity. No matter what they were making, they couldn't do that. So I was like, no, 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 let's let's put a let's put a business in front of this. Um, and that was really when the thing started to to shift. We found that fit that better matched what we were actually putting out, like the messaging we were putting out, and then things started to to, to catch fire from there. Mm. So what does what does Prescript look like for you guys then moving forward? I know you've you've brought nutrition into it. Is there plans to expand education even further into into other areas as well? Um yeah, we've talked a lot about this. Um on the education side, that's like one arm of the business. So we'll look at different sub arms like nutrition. I, I'm remiss, although we've talked about it, and I don't know when we'll act on it. It's probably going to be a personnel thing when we find the right person. The nutrition happened quick. Mm-hmm. Shit, I think I'd text you. It would have been January, December. Yeah, it moved fast. Yeah. Once, once we gave it the thumbs up, it was it was rolling right away. Yeah, so that was really, and it was really just a matter, like most things in the business, of like finding the right people. Yeah. And that's absolutely. been something we're super lucky to have. Um, so when we met, we had no aspirations to get into nutrition. And then one day I just had a conversation with a guy who's now, you know, who heads up our nutrition uh, side of things. And he was just coming out of a tenure professor role at a medical school in Canada who's, you know, Yale trained PhD and postdoc, like a very accredited, incredible, just person and academic. And he was looking for something different and we could offer him that. So we, we've talked about on just the education arm alone, like maybe on the business side, because it is something, but it wouldn't be through us. Like the only business experience we have is running this thing for the last seven years and just mm. being able to be agile and, and make these changes on the fly. Um, so if we ever did meet the right person who could offer a service equal to the service that we offer in biomechanics and training and then what Dwayne and Phil offer in nutrition to on the business end, that's something that's obviously like a hole in the market, as you know, um, and something that's just, it, it's really predatory. So you see a lot of our coaches going out for that information and they end up in the wrong place and they end up in a bad way. So that's just one part. And, you know, obviously like the, the technology that you can use to support this business and the leverage that technology can give you in business is something that we're not uh, turning a blind eye to. So without like saying too much, like we'll definitely be looking down uh, another arm of the business, which will be heavy into the integrated of, um, yeah, on the tech side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um. You guys were you guys were one of the first people in our industry that offered an education service or created a system. Would were you, we though? Uh, like well, no. a, a good Get one. Um, I think like it's generational, right? Mm. Like mm-hmm. you know, Charles Poliquin, for better or for worse, changed the game for always, right? Like he was the first, in my opinion, but he just didn't have the resources that we had, right? Like he didn't have. I mean, the internet wasn't really a thing when Charles started, so it's like if Charles was here now you know, rest in peace. And he had access to these tools. What, what could Polyquin group be, right? Like what could strength sensei be? So I don't, I, I don't think we're, I think it's a generational thing where like I, I got into this because of Polyquin. Like we did a seminar last weekend and Luke Lehman was there. He used to work for Charles yeah. and it was really cool to have Luke sit there and ask questions and say like, wow, this really helped like piece things together. And I was like, dude, you were the dude with the dude. You're the reason <laughs> I'm doing this. So I just think it's like, it was maybe a little bit of a lull because um, people, the pendulum had swung to, not, I would say easier, but just different ways to generate revenue in the fitness industry. Like exercise programming has been popping for like 10, 15 years. And then education just kind of like laid dormant. And we had this like in-person opportunity that just created like a vacuum in the digital market that we ourselves were like, okay. Because it, it was all private, right? Like you couldn't take one of our courses for a few years. I was teaching... I think I did 15 weekends. I mean, I did 43 weekends in a row one year and it was all private. So it was like good life fitness, ultimate performance across the world. So it generated like an interest online that couldn't be fulfilled. And I just kind of kept, not purposely, and I can't stress this enough, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) But it just like, people like, how do I get a hold? Like, how can I do this? I was documenting it all on social media. It's like, I want in, I want in, I want in. And then one day, September of 2017 or something. And we're like, all right, hey, let's do this PSL1 thing. And then we just turned into digital and COVID happened and the rest is kind of history. And how did you know when to, you're like, okay, this is getting huge. Like you said, you just worked 43 weekends in a row. When did you know, all right, we need, yeah. to, we need to start doing PSL level one. We need to go into PSL level two. What did that look like? Uh, I don't know, man. We just do shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember where I was. I was in, I was in the, a wine island of Kauai and I just had like kind of an epiphany 
And I was just like, I'm not an epiphany. It's so stupid. We work online. Get over yourself. What a douchebag thing to say. <laughs> but like, I just like, I don't know. It was the first, uh, it was probably the first vacation I'd had since I really started. And I just like, my head was a bit clear. And we have this even now in the last week, just being able to sit back with our own thoughts and be like, okay, like what's big direction stuff. And at the time I was still able to manipulate our website and put products up for sale, but now it's too complicated and, and I'm not allowed to. They told me to stop. Um, <laughs> Then I just put it up for sale. And so it was mid-September with an October 1st start. And I was in Hawaii, so the time zone to where our COO was at the time. She was in Washington. So it was like something like eight-hour time zone change. So I put it up while she was asleep. And so I put up the product. I'm like, okay, I think like 16 weeks would be good. I had zero of the curriculum written. Zero. I didn't have any. Like I would be writing. I would be making the slideshow for the first L1 lectures while I'm teaching it. So I would like stop screen share, go on Google image while I'm talking about something, grab things and put it in and got, obviously it's like gone through fucking 12 or 15 iterations. So it's all buttoned up now, but I literally did it on the fly for years. That course was taught in a different, every Wednesday was a different city. And so people kind of got along for the ride, but there was no like conscious strategy meeting or anything. There never really has been. It's just been like, what do you think of this? Eh, what about this, this and this? Oh, okay, you're right. But yeah, we put it up for sale. And then by the time she woke, where our COO woke up the next day, she was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, check how many of these things that we've sold. Like <laughs> we sold like 17 in the first day or something. So that was, that was a little bit of an inflection point. But as far as like, you know, I still love, because relative to what we want to do, what we know we're going to do, we, we're not even close to there yet. So I try, I try to not look back very often. So it's scary to me. Like James, just before the podcast started, was like, hey man, like I've been working for you guys for two years. I'm like, We've been around for two years. I like, talk. You've been around for like seven years. I'm like, so I don't know. That's how I look. I don't. I don't try and take an inventory too often. Like I don't. I don't reflect too much. I don't slow down to think about it because it fucking scares the shit out of me. How how big is the uh, prescript family? Like um, in, in terms of staff. Oh, staff wise. Should we name them off? Um, we got three Jameses. Three Jameses. <laughs> I mean, it's so there's like internal and then there's like lawyers and and like yeah. we have trademark lawyer we have house counsel we have i mean we both have personal attorneys we have uh if, if we have an immigration attorney yeah we have accountant team of accountants bookkeepers so we're probably 10 just on like the back end there and probably another 20 with like executive assistants coaches like people on some form of the payroll now with like our second language team as well so like with our spanish team and our um french team and our chinese team and stuff like that um yeah it's big man it's 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 a lot and again i almost like get stressed out doing these podcasts like oh no (laughs) they're gonna make me like put it all out there and like actually see the relative size of it to where it's been because there's a lot of moving pieces for sure. It's mm-hmm. it's fine. We'll get our Spanish team to uh, translate this for, uh, <laughs> for a Spanish. Yeah. I got a, I got a guy. Like, yeah, well, we got guys. <laughs> so if you need anything done in Spanish, French, Chinese, or aren't you guys the Spanish team? Yeah, we're fake. We're we're the we're the Mexicans slash Spaniards of uh, Asia, the Filipinos. That's what we are. <laughs> you guys don't have a human resources department yet, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Working on it. Work in progress. Um, what what's been the learning curve for you both? Then, like you know. Because uh, I remember, I remember the muscle doc being, you know, videos in the treatment room at uh, Boss Barbell. You know, yeah. poor, poor quality videos put on YouTube when you had a Instagram following of like five thousand. What's oh. the transition been like to you know managing a, a payroll of twenty to thirty people? It's a very, very weird thing doing your own thing and then having people underneath you and dealing with all the fun that comes with managing lots of people if you've never been I think at the beginning it's like you have to you have to wear a lot of hats and I think that's where like you see like the entrepreneurial startup fitness bullshit business mentor culture shit and it's just like you know delegate 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 it's like I could tell you everything about these cameras right I could tell you everything about these lenses I could tell you about this setup I could tell you about this road switch I could tell you about other options I could tell you what you paid for this you know I could tell you about the software you'll probably use to edit it put it together because I did it yeah. Right. And I could tell you the most inefficient way to do it because I did it. <laughs> right. So I think at the beginning, it's like understand the scope of like the valences that you'll have to cover. And just, you don't necessarily have to be good at them, but you have to be aware of them, especially as you start to, you know, using like the valence analogies, you start to give off these outer tasks that probably aren't your core nucleus of what you're good at in the business. You know, it doesn't take as much energy to knock those outer valence electrons off. Right. So just go a little sciencey. Um, 
so those are they're a little easier to give up. So you can give these tasks up, but you need to know, like, you know, if I could do something better and I was giving something to a media guy, it's like, what are you doing, man? What did you use that for? Why did you, did you use Canva? Are you serious? You use Canva? You didn't use Photoshop? Like, what am I paying? I can use Canva. But then it's like the difficult part becomes, you know, as you, as you relegate or delegate these tasks off that are, you know, clearly not your primary core focus. It's, it's identifying what that nucleus is mm-hmm. and then trying to, as hard as you can, figure out what are things that I'm lying to myself that are not the primary thing I'm good at? Because once you get closer to that core, it's harder for them to go like to give those tasks up, but that's where all the energy comes from, right? So if you can give those tasks up, like when we, in the last couple of years, our roles were really ill-defined, right? In the sense that we didn't know who did it got done. We didn't know how everyone was grateful when it was done. No one, no one took any of the credit or any of the blame. So there wasn't really an accountability system, but in I would say the last year and a half, it's been really clear like what my role is, what Jay's role is when it comes to interacting with staff and personnel. So I think it's just like being very self-aware of what you're good at and over time just knowing when when to start to shift off these things that aren't your primary core skill that you bring to the company and just delegating those to good people. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's the reason you'll hear this guy talking like, I don't know, 300 words a minute. <laughs> and I'm over here just like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. I, that's I how agree. this works. Yeah, because that's how this works. Yeah, he's he's the relationships. He's he's the guy that can walk into a room and then leave with everyone as a friend, right? And then my mind works a lot more in just kind of an organizational numbersy kind of way. So I deal with that side of the business. It's just more so managing, you know, we need this to happen with these people and kind of figuring out delegating to accountants and lawyers and figuring out all that stuff. That's kind of where I shine. I'm a little bit better at working in the background, kind of making sure everything's working the way it needs to. And then this guy's out on the floor doing his thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's fine to use science analogies as long as we don't bring compression expansion into this. Okay. This is a safe space. Safe space? Oh, yeah, we, safe we, space. I can make it. I can make it that. <laughs> I can compare anything to anything. I could do that whole thing over again with old movie references. Nice. That's my whole job. It's just, it's just that. Amazing. Um, how's the transition been uh, into the world of being influencers? <laughs> I, I push back. Yeah. I, d- I just don't consider myself an influencer yeah. so I, I don't have to deal with, with that where's the weirdest place you've been recognized uh cappadocia turkey probably that's a weird one and just any place I, they're all weird because i never thought a i would be in a position where i'd ever get to see the places that i see yeah. so every time i'm in a place that's not my hometown but this is the craziest thing ever how yeah. did you how did you what what where did you find me like i'm so curious because it is it's strange like i don't ever anticipate being recognized like yeah. it's still a really weird thing so anywhere i go that's not my hometown is the weirdest place ever there's like yeah. when i say Cappadocia, it's probably one of the most remote places i've been well yeah a- any weird place i've been where i've been noticed is the weirdest place because it's like what the fuck am i doing here i have no business here <laughs> but uh yeah the i just push back on the influencer thing because it's such a negative connotation and rightfully so i think like i don't think that's i don't i don't think i fit the criteria of what that is although without ever knowing what the criteria for an influencer is it's hard for me to say that yeah i i would disagree i mean like an influencer is someone has who has influence mm. and you've had influence and so i i think you can spin it right you can be a positive influencer i think you guys have a massive positive influence i would have never wore lululemon shorts <laughs> yeah, so i appreciate that yeah. so you look great you don't you yeah. just lie <laughs> yeah, don't, don't over listen here to with my car don't heart guy. we're just gonna be g's up with fantastic. our nice thing. well no because he's the one who told me uh, i was like yeah jensen's always talking about lululemon he's like i wear lululemon i get them so, every year for christmas do you wear lululemon yeah. that's my fucking guy you know that right <laughs> this so. is uh this is how influential you guys are uh for about five minutes i was uh, an aspiring weightlifter because I did CrossFit as well. So I used to train CrossFit and do weightlifting. Oh. And I remember watching a video of yours back in the day. No, it might've been a podcast and you're talking about what you had for dinner and you're a weightlifter. We're around, I was used to be around under 74 kilos. So, yeah. you know, we're the same height, roughly the same size. I remember in a video, you're like, yeah, I'm having a T-bone steak and potatoes for dinner. Yeah. I'm like, well, 
looks like that's what I'm having for dinner. <laughs> that must be what weightlifters eat. That's a positive influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's a good thing none of us got into hard drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here's Jenta's meth breakfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it does, in my mind, it carries. Because I look at, and I, I parse out the difference between having impact and having influence. Yeah. And that's something that, like, yeah, having an impact, sure. That's that's our whole, that's, what, that's why we do what we do. Is like, if we leave this industry the same as the way we found it, then we failed. Right, so I want to have an impact on the industry. I want any way you do that is through having an impact on people. And it's like, it might seem like such a subtle nuance, like both words start with I. And it's like, are you really that pedantic? And the answer is yes, I am. I am that pedantic. Good. <laughs> I will create my own little title to not be affiliated with things <laughs> that have a negative. I think impact can be positive. I think influence is negative because it, 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 it indicates some sort of blind following. Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm so transparent in social media, like I don't care if people know every intimate detail of my life. Yeah. Because it's easy for me. So it's like that to me is like they are well informed about what it is they're getting. Like I don't walk out of a room and be like, oh, fucking losers or whatever. And I'm not like I, I've, I will leave a seminar. I'll have everyone's cell phone number by the time I leave. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. That's where I could because I put so much not effort into it, but I just give a shit. And it's like I've seen that on the other side where people are just like, yeah. You know, they exploit the industry and it's like, yo, this industry's sick. Why? Because I don't work in a fucking Chrysler factory putting doors on a town and country <laughs> minivan. That was my future. Me sell a little bit of Coke on the side. That would have been my life. <laughs> so like, I'm really, I, I, I take it, like I take it pretty serious. So that's like, whenever I hear that, it, it, I know it's, it's always joking, but it's like, you know, I lose a lot of sleep over trying to make sure that's not what we do. Cause I don't want it to be blind. I want people to know like, Hey, this is, this is us to a T. Like when you get in a room with us online, whatever, like, oh, you're the same. It's like, great. Right. So now you're not just like blindly following and being like influenced. It's like, hopefully if you fuck with us, it's like, we're actually having an impact. And if you don't, like, I, I totally understand. Like, I totally understand why people would not resonate with us somehow, but that's us Monday mm-hmm. through, through Monday, 365, 24 seven. So that's like where I see a lot of disingenuous behaviors around people that usually adopt those properties of an influencer. They get on like the hand clap cardinal sign this is why i'm not an influencer because i don't start my videos like all right guys what are we doing that's number one sign you might be an influencer yeah, good yeah. for me um I, I really resonated with you guys really early on because um <clears throat> you know there was a there was a part in our uh, there was a period in training uh where crossfitters hated bodybuilders bodybuilders <laughs> hated crossfitters and i could relate with you guys because i loved it all you know i right. loved bodybuilding i loved uh crossfit i loved uh weightlifting and i was like hey fuck these guys get along like one of them's a fucking diehard powerlifter bodybuilder one likes crossfit and one likes uh weightlifting and you guys got along and you guys were like for me the first people to kind of do that uh with a little bit of a status and um that was reputable so i was like oh this is cool there are people out there that can do it all yeah i think the thing that brought us together was simply just a love for training yeah right that's universal whatever your discipline is is mm. that you love that thing and that's it it's the reason that I still go to a gym every mm. single day. Like I, pr- I've set my entire life up so that I could be in a gym or in a gym right now. Right. And I've never had to leave a gym and I somehow make a living from it. Like it's, it's just the love and the passion that comes with training like that. that I think brought us together. Well, we were also kind of had a weird Stockholm syndrome type thing. Cause we were both uh, in chiropractic yeah, college true. at the same point. So it's like, it's like, imagine being like in a hostage situation in a mm. bank vault. <laughs> and like we're both just sitting there like hey man do you want to be friends like because yeah. that's it was four years of just sitting there in lecture 40 50 hours a week and you saw it like i remember one of the kids that i i was first friends with just based off of physical stature it was like the he was one of the top wrestlers in the country in his undergrad like university of michigan like he was a no joke he was a dude like jacked as hell with, okay you want to be friends and as the years went on he just fell off like he like let school get like take a priority and like, Hey, I'm sure he's doing well, <laughs> but I just couldn't resonate with that. Like, you know, right. the reason I, so it, the, when the, we used to post our grades in, in the classroom, there's like 50, 60 kids in the class, maybe 50. And there was like four spaces on this sheet of just numbers. It was just like your student ID number. And then after the four spaces, it was all the people who failed and passing for all the classes was 70%. All the tests passing was 70%. 
and I actually got to know what his student number was because you'd fall. I'd just watch him follow with his finger to find his student number, and it would be right above those four spaces that indicated that you failed. And the only reason I was looking there because my number was right <laughs> there with his, and so like I could do, I could just be like, "Yo, well, what did I get?" And he could tell because he knew my student number because we were always like neck and neck of just crossing the line because we were always in the gym. Like I don't think for the four years we were in grad school that either of us missed a session. Right, like early mornings, late nights, whatever it took, and it was like it was such an easy transition subliminally when we went into business after school. It was like, well, that's what we need, right? Like we need that passion that'll make sure it's late nights, early mornings, whenever, whatever it takes, because that's ultimately still to this day what drives us in the business is like we just like working out, man. Like that's all it is. And I think when you compete at a high level, that noise starts to fall away, mm. right? Like when because you under like you respect what it takes. Like just thinking laterally about okay, like it's not a snatch or clean and jerk, but I can understand the technical components of a bench press. I don't know how to bench press or I don't know how to snatch, but I'm assuming he runs into similar frustrations and problems with X, Y, and Z just as I do at this level. So there was like a lot of like camaraderie around there. He was actually the reason one of the main reasons i got into competing in powerlifting was he was so actively competing in uh in crossfit i was like well fuck man i'm just sitting here spinning my wheels i might as well do something about it so then i did my first meet after he'd done like his third regionals in crossfit while going to school it's like all right i gotta step my game up was your first meet in did you go to school in canada uh, so I did my undergraduate in Canada. Yeah. So I did four years in the University of Toronto, and then I did four years at Chiropractic College in California. So my first week was 2015. Okay. Um, and that would have been in California. Were you involved with Boss by then? Uh, I was, yeah. So I, I got in with Dan early when I was still in school. Um, and Dan I just kind of let me train at Boss. I'd go in a few times a week and like, work with him on the clinical side, and then he would kind of sh- you know, show me the ropes on the powerlifting side. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was uh, June 18th, 2015, if I'm not mistaken, in Santa Cruz, California. He registered me for the meet. He's like, yeah, you're fucking doing this. And it's like, he's not a guy you negotiate with. He's altogether an unreasonable human being. And um, he wanted me to cut into the 110s, and I cut down to the 110s. He liked, I remember, I'll never forget, he checked in on me after weigh-ins. And he's like, what'd you weigh in on? I'm like, I don't know, like 109.8. He's like, great, I want you by 117 in the morning. And I was like... I'm like, is it possible to get diabetes in a day? <laughs> Hand to God, Dan Green's text message back to me was, if you try hard enough, it is. And I was just like, okay, so this is going to be my powerlifting career. Got it. Oh, dear. Was was your undergraduate in California as well? Mine was in Pennsylvania, so okay. like the northeast of the United States. And then you came across to, to California. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Because um, it's a question that I had. Uh, it doesn't fit into this current conversation. We're going to throw it out there anyway. Like, um, obviously, I spent time in California and in the Bay Area in particular. And, you know, obviously, in, in a place like that, you're surrounded by the tech industry, uh, a lot of... Uh, fake entrepreneurs a lot of really rich people as well it's a i i find the the culture of san francisco and just the bay area in general so fascinating in terms of how people relate to other people seems to be so much driven by not who they are but where they work how much money they make it's a very different world um and then i sort of relate that to to you guys and your business and who you are as people and the growth that you've experienced and just like as you've demonstrated through the way that you guys are talking right now and just who you are as people, you're still super down to earth, still super cool, still connect and uh, are willing to talk to, you know, us people, us, us, <laughs> us plebs down here. here. No, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, is it, is it, um, has seeing the kind of lifestyle and the kind of way that people act when they're around money there fueled you to remain down to earth? Um, so my experience with them, it depends on, uh, yeah, that's, it's a good question. I think having each other is super helpful because we have really similar like upbringings and stuff. Like yeah. none of us came from money. Like we didn't know what to do with it. When we had it, we'd be easy, just as happy if we didn't. Cause for the longest time in our lives, we never did like going through school. We were, we were talking about this earlier. We were thinking about it this morning. Like we, in, in, in living in the Silicon Valley, I never really understood how the Silicon Valley worked until the last couple of years when you think about like, Oh, do we need to do some fundraising? Do we go Series A? Do we don't? Do we sell equity for, um, you know, for some for some funding and things like that? And we talk to people who are like deeply entrenched in the Silicon Valley, and they're like, "So, like, what's your cap table look like? Like, what do you mean? Like, what's your cap table? Like, who's giving you money that has hold a piece of the company?" I was like, 
no one. Like we bootstrapped this from literally no. I remember being overdrawn in my bank account. I remember having to. T- I was living in my Toyota Forerunner, having to figure out well, if I ha- if I walk to the grocery store, I don't have to buy gas, but I'll have to do two trips because I'll have more money for food. And I'll, if I buy that food, I won't be able to carry all of it. So I'll have to do two trips to the grocery store, but I'll have to buy food. But how far is the walk? Because what's the calorie deficit I'm going to go with? <laughs> walk. So am I buying enough food to have a net calorie surplus, or do I drive? And then have to put gas in the car and have to do less. But I'm driving and I'm not walking. And so I would literally do this like just a broke guy meathead math. So I think, yeah. And to me, it doesn't seem like I'm far removed from that. And just in my mind, it just seems like it was yesterday. I definitely think the staying grounded, having him around. And, you know, I, I don't think it's ever the opposite, though. Like, he has no problem staying grounded. He's just like, because he does all the money stuff. And I just, I mean, we started the business with more money. I never look at the bank account. I have no idea. But, like, every now and then I get a little, like, rap on the shoulder. and be like, hey, man, uh, you know, maybe don't get the Wi-Fi on the next flight. Like, um, But I think that's been big. And I, I think, too, the more you travel around, the more you realize that the people who front like that aren't when you meet people with real money and I I don't want to stereotype either way, but like I think they come in all shapes and sizes. Like we know some proper, proper, like we're talking, you know, 11 figure bank account type people. And like, you'd never know. So I think once you reach a national lawn where it's like those, you meet that level of wealth, you're like, Oh, okay. Like it, it, the, and if that's what you're striving for, like to be able to provide so much value that that's what the company could be worth. It's like, Oh, like it seems like everyone at that level is actually kind of cool. I know that's been my experience anyways, yeah. but definitely like the Silicon Valley is like a lottery that startup lottery is like you, you hit, you're done, man. Like you make your millions on vested equity and you fucking call it a life. Yeah. I think you and I are very similar in a lot of ways. Like we can go down the list. We have like basically the same birthday, same first middle name. We look at a lot of situations in very similar ways. Um, and that's not true of all things. I think we're very different in other ways, but I think one of the things that we definitely have alike is, is, um, work ethic is we're both, neither of us are afraid of hard work. Like we, I've worked very hard for no compensation my entire life. So, so it's the money things it's, it's neither here nor there when you look at it that way. But the, the thing that I think is most important and, and really helps us function has gotten us to this point is that we perform well under stress. Right. Like him and I, when we graduated, him and I were the only ones that stuck around the Silicon Valley. Everyone else bounced out to where they were from. They got out of town and we opened up businesses that mirrored each other, our practices, him and boss and me in in a CrossFit gym um, that I'm still in, actually. But it's not easy to do that. Be the brokest you'll ever be in your life. Hopefully it's not just not having money, but also having a pile of debt and the urgency that comes with that coming out of school and the stress that comes with that. Um, it forces you to perform is you have to produce when you're in a situation like that, especially when you're in a place where there's some of the richest people you have Mark fucking Zuckerberg buying hospitals and running for president or whatever the fuck he's doing. And there's just people like us coming out of school. Like, Hey, Give me 50 bucks, I'll crack your back. Right. <laughs> I'll do a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's, <laughs> yeah, right? What else do you need me to do? Jesus. You got another 20 on you? Yeah. <laughs> but, but coming from that, that was kind of our first, you know, dipping the toes in the sand. And then we kind of came together, and, and that's actually how Prescript was born, is that we would come together, we would, we would start to talk business, and we would bounce ideas off of each other with our, our businesses. And then... We just had this idea and we're like, yeah, this guy fucking works hard. I want to work with him. Like we have similar interests. Let's see if we can do this Silicon Valley thing. And like him, I didn't know that people start their companies with millions and, you know, maybe billions of dollars before they even have a product to sell. So we're like, well, we'll just fucking figure it out. Yeah. I remember having the conversation. We, we were like about to launch a website and like, uh, should we do this? Like, I I guess so. I don't fucking know. Like, let's just do it and fail fast and figure out where we land. But that's kind of been the philosophy and the thing that I think has carried us to this point is just more or less persistence. Yeah, I think the Silicon Valley teaches you that everything is high stakes, right? Yeah. Like, because, like you said, Zuckerberg, I, hand to God, uh, okay, I got to be careful with, like, HIPAA stuff. Um, I, one of my patients was very close to the Zuckerberg family. Let's just say it that way. So it's like, yeah, that's high stakes, right? If you do a good job, that'll keep coming back and maybe then something, maybe that's all you do. So it's like with everyone in the Valley kind of, you know, trying to do the startup thing, 
everyone's on all the time, 24-7. You can't miss. You can't, like when there is the, the chance to hit that sweepstakes, go IPO, your company's stocks are worth, you know, 300 shares at open, and you're just like, oh, shit, I just made $20 million. Like you can't miss. So it's like being around that I think was super fun. Unbelievably stressful in retrospect. It literally put me in the hospital. Like I was getting anxiety attacks and I had no fucking idea why. And it was like just constantly being in this pressure cooker, this like business incubator and trying to be a part of that without even knowing what you were doing. Mm. But now looking back and just not knowing what I'm doing, but at least having experience doing it, it's like that was such a godsend because it, it regardless of whether it's a conversation with a lawyer or a, a conversation with a student or an interaction or an email, everything is high stakes. And I, that's what like the Valley teaches you. And that's what people who are creative, if you were measuring success by purely like monetary, like people who are super rich, that's what they know is everything is high stakes. The guy bags or grocery stores to the, 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 the merger partnership buyout, whatever, like everything is got to be taken to that level of severity. And, and I think that's carried us both like pretty well in the last couple of years, especially. So I just listened to a book called uh, chaos monkeys, which is all about, um, a guy that basically set the trajectory for what advertising looks like on Facebook. And he lost out big time in Silicon Valley. But uh, just hearing how it all works over there, because I've seen glimpses of it, you know, coming over there and staying with Emily from um, from Boss and, uh, you know, her, she, for, I don't know if I'm allowed to say she worked at Google, but I'm going to say it anyway. She right. worked she worked at Google for a while, so went to Google and walked around the headquarters and it was wild, absolutely insane. I've never seen anything like it. It's just crazy to see how it works. On the flip side of everything you guys just said, being in that environment, has there been major positives in terms of having people around like that to draw inspiration from in terms of building your business or having access to people that can help you with like the tech side of things? Like surely there's been uh, big benefits in that regard. Yeah, I think for me, living in an environment like that skews your perception on reality, right? There's people that are living so far on the fringes of what, you know, me growing up in Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania, I didn't know it was possible. Like being a millionaire wasn't a thing where I'm from. And now it's like, oh yeah, that guy driving this Subaru wearing Birkenstocks is a millionaire. And it's like, it's, it just, it skews your perception of what's possible and, and what's happening around the world, just being immersed in that. So it really shows you with, you know, these are just normal people doing this thing and building companies, making millions of dollars and, and having these successful businesses. So if you make the right connections or you know the right people, then it's it's not very hard to replicate these processes with, you know, as long as you have an idea that's going to be worth it. There's kind of this feeling of success by association. Like Jordan said about our, like, our colleagues that graduated with us, everyone laughed. Like everyone saw the housing prices and the price of living and how much debt they were in. And we're like, I'm going to move back to the middle of America where it's way cheaper and I might have a fighting chance to own a home as someone who like just went through this eight, nine year process to get educated where me and him stuck around. And it's like, you made a point about just like the network side and everyone that you interact with, you realize is someone, right? Most people there are transplants from other parts of America, the other parts of the world. So like every person that comes in like an average day and I think this isn't being hyperbolic an average day if you were to like look at a roster of like patients in your office it's like director level c-class vp level like one of our close friends and you want to talk about useful <laughs> networks to have is like the vp of engineering at apple right like this guy's in the war room with steve he's been in apple 20 years with steve steve jobs and, and tim cook like he's he's the dude so if we ever have a technical question you know, that guy's consulting rate, I'm assuming would be 10 grand an hour if he did it at all, if he had time. So mm -hmm. it's like that, just a guy who, you know, we've got to know in the gym. He's a powerlifter at Boss. Another guy is a CEO of this major company that's owned by this hedge fund that only funds like um, health related uh, startups. He's just this 72 year old dude that trains at the gym. So it's like, when I said everything's high stakes, like when people you run into, and, and it's a lesson to learn. Like, it's kind of like a, that old testament of character. It's like how people act in front of people who can't do anything for them. It's like, well, that's the way it should be. The guy who bags your groceries could, his father could be the fucking, and you should approach it that way. Not because you need anything from him, obviously, but when you do approach those scenarios with like this modicum of, of character, it pays back in dividends. 
right? Like just the personal networks, like I could open my cell phone and if I was ever in a jam with anything or needed help with anything, the best of the best at anything I could think of, I guarantee is going to circle right back to people I met in the Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Has that then uh, encouraged you guys to continue to pay it forward, say in this industry? Because like I know in, in the past over the years, I've been like, Oh, I want to I want to ask way smarter people than me and I've reached out to you and we've had calls in the past and you know I approach it and I'm like you know I'm I'm ready to to pay you for your time to basically do whatever you need to to get on a call and talk about it. and you're like yeah we'll just chat and I'll be like uh what is the super spinata what does your shoulder do and you're just like man just does this and this and this. like uh, that's been really important for me because anytime anyone reaches out on Instagram or Facebook, I'm not a big dog, but I'll help anyone that reaches out to me because I think it's really important to continue to give back because without the people paying forward to places like zero, we don't exist. Yeah. It's definitely something that we're, we're, we're very forward thinking and how we can, because, and the hard part is, and I, I need to disclaimer this time and again, it's like, yeah, when it comes to, you know, your ankle hurts, your knee hurts, your shoulder hurts, you want to run faster, you want to jump higher or something, it's like, okay, yeah, probably help you out. But, like, all we can do is tell our story on the business side of things because it's, like, we don't have formal business training. So that's always something that, like, if anyone ever wants to get advice, I'm like, let me just tell you what we did. And then you can infer based off of your situation because it's, like, we we had these people, but I think the unique – I don't want to say unique – but, like, when it comes to the business side, like, yeah, I've reached out, like, Dan was my coach, so, like, I didn't have to go too far for crazy, like, good advice or <laughs> crazy advice, period, <laughs> um, to get that to get that insight. But, like, on the business side, like, we never, probably just out of our own stupidity, like, we never reached out. So I'm always, like, I'm always really reluctant when people reach out to, A, we don't know what we're doing. We're just experienced in what we've done. Um, and then, B, like, really think hard about reaching out for advice on the business end because if I I don't want to rob you of an opportunity to learn the hard way because that's the only way you'll really learn. So like I you know I talk to my friends who've been in business, you know people that that we all know and I'll get I'll get their input, I'll get their experience, but you have to go through it because I'm always and, and we'll pay all this to anyone, I'll get on a call like and that's still I I prioritize that. I know the I know the value of that to me uh, even in a selfish manner to be able to like recall on my processes and help people out. But I don't ever want to rob someone of, a, of an opportunity to figure it out for themselves because that's something that if they get a dependency on that, there's times where no one could have helped us. Like no one could have helped us through the bullshit we've gone through in the last couple of years but ourselves. There's, not, there's no piece of advice. There's no one I could have reached out to. And if, they, if I did reach out to someone and I leaned on that advice, I wouldn't have suffered what I had to suffer to get to where I am, to get through what we went through. Like it's, it, it is something where it's a battle of attrition. Like you got to be fucking hard as nails in some ways. And I'm not like talking storm and Normandy out of the back of a U boat kind of thing, but like it can be physically and emotionally pretty taxing for what you think it might be in owning a business. And if you're not, if you're not ready to handle that and you're looking for a, a branch to cling to, this might not be, this might not be something you want to pursue. Yeah. There's been times where we've been faced or myself, I'll speak for, uh, I've been faced with decisions that, will greatly change the trajectory of not only my or the business, but also my life. And I've been faced with those decisions and I've really just sat with them. And the thing that I always come back to is going to be what, what do your values dictate? What do you know, you as a person, and that's going to be reflected in your business and your relationships from there. So those are things that I've always been able to rely on and kind of just look into myself. And if I'm having a hard time making a decision, I, I can have, with whatever information I'm given at the time, I know that I can rely on upholding my values and my integrity. And if I can reflect that in the decision that I make, then I made the right decision. And that's something that I've become very confident with, with some of the decisions we've had to make in the last year or two. Um, and that's probably the best advice I could give anyone in any scenario. It's just if you have pure intentions and, and you're upholding your values, then the decision that you think is right is the right decision. It's so analogous to training in so many ways, right? Like even even yeah. you were saying before about people um, or alluded to people kind of getting uh, 
swindled by business coaches because there's so many, especially in fitness. Like, yeah, contact me. I'll get you 100 high-quality paying leads in the next 10 days, you know? And it's like you look into them and you're like, who the fuck is this person? Yeah. They got 12 followers on Instagram. They've clearly never run a business in their entire life. They're just following the formula that everyone else is following. It's so analogous to training stuff. It's like you wouldn't go to a coach that hasn't been in the trenches, that hasn't done it. And, you know, there's always this argument of like, do you pick a coach based on whether they're a great lifter or not? It's like, yeah, they don't have to be a great lifter, but fuck it. They, it's helpful to have done it. It's helpful to have been there. And because I, I think at the highest level, empathy is what really reigns supreme, right? Because there's a point where um, just you people don't need advice. They just need to know they're not alone. Like they need to know that they can be seen. Yeah. And if you're at a high level, it's, it's hard to think that someone who hasn't been there can see you. Right? And that's really what people want. People just want to be seen, whatever that looks like metaphorically. So it's like it is difficult to start to reach out to people who might not, might not have been to the same the same position as you are or the same position as you want to go like when we want to talk business it's like yeah like the people i just talk just and it's and it's not necessarily probing them with specific questions it's really more just like tell me your story mm. right so i can think laterally and where you are or where you may have been at this intersection as i've run into this problem or whatever that problem might be and i can just think laterally and how your decisions apply to my business then i filter it through like jay said like that value system like your heart, your head, and your gut, and then you just make a decision accordingly. But I think empathy is such a is such an undervalued asset in business, and it's just like it's just enough to just sit with someone and be like, you know, I, I understand, like rather than just trying to sit there and be like, here's what you got to do, you know, if that makes if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because oh, empathy screams of experience. Like you, you can't you can't fake tactical empathy. You can't just make it up. You right. can't manufacture it. Right. Um, just to uh, to swing a little bit or, or pivot a little bit, um, the the time that you guys have been educating in the the industry, the industry has shifted quite a lot, right? Um, the pendulum has very much swung from where we came from, which is just shut the fuck up and do it and just work, and you're not working hard enough. To now, you know, you have to be standing at thirty degrees facing the sun at the summer equinox to hit the right pec fiber, you know. How how abreast do you guys stay, you know, being educators, how abreast do you guys stay to what's going on so you can deal with people asking questions like that? Or how much do you just ignore the noise and focus on what you're doing and keep paving the way forward? Um, so I think we've actually built a, like an ear to the ground sort of model intuitively into the business by accident. So we, we are in constant communication with all of our students at all times. So we have lab sections, similar to universities. So we have a lot of interaction with our students year round, years on end. So like we have a, a lot of supporting value adds so that we can keep a finger on the pulse, but we want to keep a finger on the pulse of the market that you know, consumes our products and are currently consuming our products. So we can do that just by the questions that we get asked and the conversations that come up in our lab sections literally daily. So yeah, we've definitely noticed and have to have been mindful and think have actually done a really good job. We were talking about this the other day of drawing a line of what matters and then really pushing. And from a culture standpoint, obviously like being someone who still lifts regardless of circumstance like i'll get off a 15 hour plane i'll stim up to my fucking eyeballs and i'll train until i fucking throw up like that 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 will never change and i think that projection of effort being the great unifier like yeah that can work here you know the equinox 30 degrees on the solstice to the sun and the pec fibers whatever but it only works like if you fucking if you if you take it there so i think because we're still and everyone that works with us is so is so kind of they live in both worlds and the academic and the applied and like they have a body of work in both fields that to support it I, I it's definitely something that we've noticed um we've noticed it in real time and not had to combat it but like you know just put it into perspective right so i think you know all of our coaches are unique in the fact that they're all pursuant to some sort of physical goal they're all actively working digitally and in person with clientele of various populations. So like you can kind of come with this, like, you know, this, this three headed dog of experience that can kind of put stuff in its place pretty quickly. Cause we, the last thing we want to be known for is like, you know, the, the purely academic PubMed ID, 
it's like, no, nah, man, we get results. This is coaching. Like, if you want to fucking you throw footnote citations at me, like, show me your results. Like, show me your client. Show me who you work with. Show me who your top educator works with. Like, proof's in the fucking pudding. So, and then also, like, sh- you know, show me a bicep band. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, it's like no one, like, no one cares what you know. Uh, like, they care who you are. Right. And that's what people are buying. So it's, that's really what we try and keep at the forefront of the messaging is like, you look, when the last fucking, you know, moxie fucking research EMG study, when all that goes dark, where will we find you? Will we find you in the lab or will we find you in the gym? So you can find me in the fucking gym, man. So that's, that's something that is near and dear to the brands and the brand's image. Because the brand is just a reflection of our values. Do you, do you see the same kind of shift in the in the CrossFit and weightlifting world? Uh, to some extent, yeah. There's always going to be the trendy, you know, stuff that pops up on Instagram. People are going to see the shiny object and kind of chase that and follow that. And then it just falls off because people don't get results with it. Mm-hmm. But kind of going back to what Shal was saying is that information appraisal doesn't happen in the comment section right it happens with like the gold standard for for information as a peer review or article right or, or a meta-analysis or something like that where people have their eyes on it they're giving their opinions or kind of vetting the information that's that's coming at you so um i'm very lucky and i think our prescript community is very lucky that we have things like our lab sections and, and the collective where people can come in with an idea and just appraise that idea Right is, is we can get a lot of eyeballs on it, whatever that is, whether it's powerlifting, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's weightlifting, um, whether it's hypertrophy training. That's, I, that's probably the most trendy one of all of it is there's always stuff coming in and out. Um, and a lot of the things that I revert back to is just if the good shit is the stuff that people have been doing all along. There's not like this new secret that's going to come out that's going to be the thing that's going to take you to the next level. Like these new flashy ideas. Cool. It's it's dope to think about this stuff. I'd, I'd love to think about this stuff. I think all of us probably do, and that's why we're in the room. But when it comes down to it, I'll bet all of us got strong doing dumb shit. Mm, right? Yeah. right? It, it <laughs> fucking works. Just do the work. And I think that's uh, a really important message for a lot of these people that are coming out without the experience is, is just do the shit. It doesn't mm. matter if it's right. It doesn't matter if it's wrong. Do the shit and think about it, and you'll figure out what's more right and what's more wrong over time. And once you start to get results, then you can start to recreate that and refine that process. A lot of it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, of all the at uh, all the time, effort and consistency trumps everything. So whenever someone comes to me, like, hey, I want to do this kind of early stance lunge, I'm like. <laughs> Do you really want to do that, or did you see someone trendy on Instagram do it? Right, and like, no, we're not going to do that because you still suck at doing a normal lunge. Right. So let's just, you know, be uh, put a little bit more effort, be a little bit more consistent with what you're already doing, and you're going to get results. Yeah, I think the one thing is like that hyper academic approach is is just builds fear, and that fear is it's literally crippling. It cripples these kids to inaction because you don't they're afraid to take a step off their doorstep because some fucking prick is going to come on the comment section. So like, one thing that we provide is like. You know, we are hyper critical of everyone that comes in. Like our staff top down have internal conversations and it's all for the pursuant of, of higher information, higher applied knowledge. And so no one, no one's really safe, but you, we know that if you put something out and like, if someone, you know, starts flaming in the comment section, like, Oh, you better look the fuck out. Like, cause there's 10, 15 people who are in a lab with this person every week who might understand a deeper context than Instagram can provide. So like we off, we kind of, it's like a mob, like we offer protection services, but, <laughs> but we offer a plate. Well, here's the thing. When you think to that level and you have these discussions impartial with no ego, you're usually going to land a little bit closer to the mark where most people aren't going to try to dissect you on social media. Well, well actually push nose up glasses. It's like it, you end up thinking to through all of the counterpoints, which is what you should do, right? You should try and make the stuff you put out or your approach be, you know, unfuck withable, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, unimpeachable. Uh, and we offer a sounding board to be able to do that because, you know, not to be too close to the point, but like, a lot of people in the fitness education space create content that uh, ensures a potential clientele might look at them as intelligent at the thing that they do. Like that's really the bottom line. And if there's, if this overcomplicated hyper intellectual approach um, scares them from doing that, it scares them from doing their job. And that's a, that's a real problem. So like a lot of what we do is 
contextualize it, you know, create counterpoints to something that might oppose it, and then understanding the context for where a particular training implement or strategy or uh, method could be used so that they can, uh, they know where these things would go for, like give them the tools to go out and, and kind of defend themselves so that they can at least just step out. Like, like, the, like we don't, I don't deal with people not even turning on their Zoom videos. If I'm in a call and we're talking about something and someone doesn't turn on the camera, like get fucking involved, right? Like if you can't turn on the camera, what are you going to do when your clients have to see you? Like, I don't give a shit. Like I'm not, I'm not going to buy anything from you. You guys bought something from me, right? Like turn your camera on, get involved, like put some fucking clothes on, whatever it is. Like I, I need at least that. Uh, no one's gonna no one's gonna flame you no one's gonna yell at you no one's see, like there's no consequence to this but i need you to have some skin in the game right? and that's like an important thing for me like he still coaches at a high level he still competes at a high level i make sure that twice a year i'm in front of the best athletes in the world because it's like i'm not just sitting here talking bullshit this is exactly what i do when i go and work with the best athletes in the world these are the same principles i'm not just sitting here in my fucking house in the middle of nowhere just pontificating about, you know, lines of pull or some bullshit. Like, I'll get on the floor and I'll fucking coach. And I expect you guys to have the, like, courage is such a dumb word. Like, get off your fucking ass, grow a set, and go do your goddamn job. Preach. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it frustrates me to no end. It's like the, the crippling inaction, like the hyper, um, yeah. just like the, the hypercritical approach that just stops people from doing anything. Mm. It's like, man, you can't post something on the internet. How are you going to talk to another human being? <laughs> I feel like I'm slowly morphing into Louis Simmons because the the more the more stuff that you know comes out, and then the more weird that training gets, and then the more people that are privy to you know how I teach things and what I do that are then like, nah, you shouldn't do it that way. Like, yeah, cool, but my guys win. Like, yeah, <laughs> my guys are stronger than your guys, and stronger than everyone else's guys and women. Like, we're gonna keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. it's weird though. Like, it's I, I feel like I was the antithesis of old man yells at cloud, and now I'm literally old man yells at cloud. Yeah, you the, get it. The you're almost are, you're almost apologetic to all the old men that you judge for yelling at clouds. Absolutely. Yeah, but it is almost like a rite of passage. There's only like one or two that are yelling at clouds. And what are the rest of them doing? Like that's what's, you want to be infamous, right? Absolutely. Yeah. James, any final questions? Um, nah, I've I've just been sitting here uh, soaking up game, just enjoying having you guys here. This is still really uh, surreal to me. So weird. Um, it's a yeah. pleasure, brother. Mm. So strange. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I got nothing. I want to know who your biggest influences have been. I know it's a sort of fucking cliche question. Um, Either in the industry or otherwise. I gotta say, my old man. Uh, it's funny because you know, my birthday's on Father's Day. You know, this this year it landed that way, and like I, I don't know. On my birthday, I just like to think, reflect a little bit, just just over the course of my life. And I never fucking thought I'd be in Australia right now. Like that's not something people do where I grew up. Um, so I just gotta. I'm very thankful for the lessons and the values that my father instilled upon me at a young age that, you know, he's, what is he, 69, he works out twice a day, he can still beat the fuck out of me if he needs to, <laughs> like, he's he's just a G, and he's worked hard his whole life, He's he had his own business, and I think whether that was, you know, instilled upon me or it, it left some sort of impression on me at a young age that, that felt like I had some pretty big shoes to fill, so I got to... Got to shout out the old man. I might follow you in on that because yeah. I feel like anything else would just be disrespectful. But like my dad used to come home from work and he would, the only way I could stay up past this, like when my mom went to sleep was when I watched movies. And my dad is like the softest dude in the world. Like <laughs> nicest guy, biggest heart. He's like this jovial kind of guy from Eastern Canada. But I was his only son. So, so like, I don't want to say his idea of parenting, but the movies we would watch when mom went to bed and then I could stay up was all like the most manly 80s action movies ever like 80s 90s terminator rambo everything and like as it, like that clearly had a huge impact on my life right i was like okay i gotta get jacked because clearly that's what's gonna save the world one day <laughs> but then like you grow up looking at that and you go like all right well i want to be like the guys on the tv and then you get a certain age and you realize you just want to be the guy on the couch 
right? The guy who like worked his ass off for 30 years came home and just enough energy to fucking turn on Rambo for the third time this week and just fucking clock out before he's got to go back to work the next day at 6 a.m. So I think, yeah, like I'll follow you in on that for sure. Cause like, like you talked about earlier, like how do you stay grounded? It's just growing up and seeing that all day. It's like, it's, Mm -hmm. and never thought my dad would like smack me upside the head if I like, I don't did something stupid or like let my head get too far up my ass. But he'd just be like, he wouldn't get it. And that to me would be like such a disappointment. On not, He would never project it, but I would feel that. And it's like, dude, like you owe it to the dude on the couch who like moved out of this like terrible place where my parents are from. Not terrible, but there'd be no future for me there. There's no way I'd be, there's no way I'd be here if it wasn't for that. Mm. So like you owe it to him on the days where you don't want to do shit. And it's like, you think he fucking wanted to do what he did for 30 years for your snot nose smart ass? And <laughs> so, yeah, definitely shout out the old man for that one. Sick. What, what about um, people or the, the if you were to say the number one group or person or whoever that you look up to in our industry? That's tough. It's usually, it's personal now, right? Like I would say probably Steph, Steffi Cohen for sure. Like I just spend so much time around her and hybrid and, and, um, and then we're so integral just in like, a, like a, from a friend standpoint, like to see your friends go through like, a meteoric rise like arguably outside of you know the major household names like crossfit or like an f45 or something like that like a more niche fitness market company to see that evolve over the years because they were on the rise just as we started so i think you know the experiences that they went through were super helpful for us and just continue like the continued evolution i think is always cool like to watch her go from a powerlifter or come into powerlifting exert world dominance in powerlifting and then get into boxing and just like constantly be looking for that next thing i think is something that it's really cool just to be able to fly in and hang out for a few days and not even talk about the business side but just everything else that actually drives those decisions that for me would be like without a doubt probably the front runner for me yes yeah, yeah um yeah i don't want to get too weird with this but i have to say it, it's got to be this guy um, well, I mean, cry. I know, man, it's no, it's, it, and, and not in like any, you know, superficial, whatever kind of way, but being able to see the way this guy operates and the capacity that he can operate at, um, seeing the work ethic and the way that you can form relationships. It's just, you're very good at the things that you do and you do them with a very, very, um, pure intention. And, and I admire that a lot. And I'm, you know, I, I don't really fuck with many industry people like i'm not about the clout chasing or any of that shit um it's just it's just very superficial for me and i think that the this guy can form genuine relationships in a place where there's a lot of disingenuous intentions and and that's really impressive to me fuck yeah he lets me do that though (laughs) if i had to worry about the balance sheet i'd tell the whole company would be in the red we don't ever want a bunch of money I'd have a fucking, I don't know, I'd I'd have a few portions in the driveway (laughs) and the irs up my ass so no i appreciate it man always Amazing. Thank you guys so much for uh, spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come hang out with us. So. Of course, man. Thank yeah. you. And thanks for uh, jumping on on a, on a whim, Jinta. Oh, I appreciate uh, you guys having me. This is unreal for Swiss me. Swiss Army Knife. Yeah. yeah. This guy put him in. He's, he's your guy. <laughs> Utility. Awesome. Yeah, well, that I mean, that was my fault. I, did, I had no idea you were coming <laughs> yeah. coming with. You know, I just saw the Jordan Shallow <laughs> seminar, and I... I I just assumed. So I haven't been on the under the yeah. radar. I haven't been on Instagram in fifty-one days, so I don't know anything that's going on. Did you get a life coin? Must be so yeah, yeah, yeah. like a sobriety coin. <laughs> oh, how that that's how I feel. That's <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> I feel good. Yeah, can yeah. I ask why? I, I know we kind of wrapped, but I'm really yeah. curious. Um, it was just fucking. It was eating me up. Hey, eh? I'd have like clients messaging me on Instagram, my like Google chat, then messaging my phone. I was like, if I can get rid of one of them that doesn't serve me, then that's fine. Instagram was uh, the one to go. Yeah, hey man, whatever works. Mm. That's good. And all the people that actually care about me reach out gotcha otherwise. Right. Yeah, so that's good. Last little thing. Last little thing. A little bit of RX Radio trivia. Not trivia. But I was in Ireland once, mm. and I was listening to the radio, and the the theme music for RX Radio came on. And I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, these guys are like on the radio. So it's, it starts playing, and it's like, come down to McGeary's Tires. If you don't, you'll be dumber than a sack of potatoes or something like that. Like it was a it was a tire shop ad using the same music. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I hope you guys get royalties from that. We don't, but we should probably pay someone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, Hopefully that's sorted out. We'll talk to the legal team. I think Kyle, yeah, right? yeah, that's funny. We're out there, man. We're out there. All right, that's us. Thank you, guys.
Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.